So each one of my kids, as I went through uh, one at a time, had each one of my kids, I did a lot of thinking when they were younger. And I always wondered what they would be, each of them, what they would grow up to be like. You hold this little tiny baby in your hand and you look at them and they look individual and unique, but you really don't know anything about them. And as the oldest one has grown up, <laughs> I find she's an intense treasure hunter. She likes to do that. I have one that is a voracious reader and a learner, but very quiet. I have another one that I would call a flighty dancer, musician type, but determined to be a people person all at the same time. And then I have an extreme fixer, but a kind soul. So they're kind of all over the map, and I've thought a lot about them as they were growing up. What will they become when they grow up? And now as I find out about each of them, I now ask myself oftentimes, am I teaching them enough in my life? One day, my wife asked me, uh, when one of my children was nine years old, have we done enough? So when they're 18, have we taught them half that they need to know? And I thought, well, I don't think so. <laughs> We're in trouble if that's the case. Sometimes being a parent is not an easy thing to do. Being a parent can be hard because you want your kids to get the big things in life, the big lessons, the things that they should hang on to and the things that will get them through in life. And today we're gonna to look at a parent and see a parent, or at least maybe a grandparent, uh, we're not exactly sure, but we're gonna see the influence of a grandparent, but it might not work out so well. All right. Now last week, we've been learning, for the last few weeks, we've been learning about who? You remember? Anybody remember? What? It was either Daniel or John. Daniel. Well, we've been learning about John on Tuesday nights. Uh, but we have been, we've been talking about Daniel. The book of Daniel. And we have been going through where he came from. He was taken from his kingdom, his place of birth, and taken as a slave, essentially, to live in the court of a king to become trained to kind of grow within that court. And the court, do you remember what the court, the name of the king? Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar all right? So Nebuchadnezzar raised or the, the people of Nebuchadnezzar raised Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all raised to be wise people. All right? And Nebuchadnezzar was that great and mighty king. He really had an incredible kingdom. And in the ancient world, 
He held a title for uh, what was holding some of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And within Babylon, I talk about the hanging gardens and it being a golden city. He actually created multiple layers of gardens which hung over top of the entire city. All the rooftops, they grew gardens and connected from roof to roof. All right, And it was not a small feat. It was acres and acres and acres and acres and acres of these gardens all above the city. All right, And so they had plenty to live on within this city of Babylon. All right, and Babylon was an incredible city. You remember he had a dream about how he, about this big statue, and how he was the golden head of this statue, and how God labeled him and said, you are one of the greatest kings that will be on this earth. But what was Nebuchadnezzar's problem? He had a problem. When he was told, you're one of the greatest kings on earth, like everybody, many people, what happens to their head? Wow, you guys are silent today. It gets so big you can't walk through the door. And that happens with people when they get an idea that they are something special, their head grows. Not literally, but they think very highly of themselves, all right? And Nebuchadnezzar had done some great things. Now, he was very angry. Remember, he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace because they would not bow down to his big golden statue that he created. And then we find out that he, with his big head and his high opinion of himself, God's going to teach him a lesson. Last week you learned about the lesson that God te taught Nebuchadnezzar. What was that lesson? God hit him. I'll tell, uh, since apparently you guys don't know how to speak today. Uh, God hit him with a loss of knowledge or a loss of awareness. All of a sudden, one day, boom, he's down on his hands and knees, and he finds his way outside of the city, and there are wild animals out there. There are some wild donkeys that have a way, their way, and they wander around through. He goes out and he lives with these wild donkeys. He's crawling on his hands and knees. It says he's actually eating grass to stay alive. And he is out there for seven seasons, it says. Now, I don't know whether that season, each of those seasons, are an entire year. But essentially, he's out sleeping under the stars, not aware that he is even a king. As his people watch, well, there was our king out there. He sleeps with the animals. He's gone a little cuckoo. All right? And out he goes. And he's out there, and it says his hair grew long and shaggy, all right? His fingernails grew long, and he used them to dig in the dirt, just like any wild animal. And he laid down with all the wild animals, all right? A strange thing to happen to a king. But it was done because God was teaching him a lesson. 
You need to understand that you are not in control of all this. This is not Nebuchadnezzar because you are wonderful and amazing. This is because I give you these opportunities. I gave you your talents. I gave you your abilities. If you give back uh, all of the all of the praise back to God and let people know that I'm the one who made you this way, I'm the one who gave it to you, then I won't knock you down on your knees. And he'd been given a warning. And when he did that, he was out there for seven seasons. His hair, it says, grew like big, long eagle's feathers type of thing. So he was a wild and shaggy guy. All right. And then one day, God says, wake up. And all of a sudden, there he is, out in the field, a mess, and he looks up into the sky and, and he gives God the praise. And he goes back and makes it, all the people in the kingdom are going to worship this God. He's really in control, all right? He is the God of Babylon, which was a change from his whole life. So he learned a big lesson, and that was... A great lesson for Nebuchadnezzar. Watch your pride. Watch your pride. Now, reel forward a little bit along the way. And we meet a new character today. And his name is Belshazzar. Now, Daniel's name, if you recall, was what? Anybody remember that? Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, okay. Belshazzar is something different. And they had a god of Bel, okay, it was one of their names, was Bel, which was to give praise to God, one of their gods, not the real, true, living God, okay. So, Daniel... Uh, we'll see him come back into the picture, but he has lived through Nebuchadnezzar, and apparently Nebuchadnezzar is gone now. That's it. The last we saw was when Nebuchadnezzar stood up as a wild beast, realized he is a king again, and comes back in and gives God the credit. Fast forward a little bit. This is either his son or some people say his grandson, Belshazzar. So it's the kingdom has passed down. It's been some time since Nebuchadnezzar was knocked down to his knees. But Belshazzar is very aware of what happened. But Belshazzar is in charge of a great big golden kingdom. And he's got the very same issues that his grandfather or father had. Right? He struggles with pride. Question is, is he going to learn his lesson? All right. Let's go into Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter number 5. As we look at Belshazzar... We're going to read verses 1 through 5, please. Nice and loud. Daniel chapter 5. The book of Daniel. We're going to 
We're going to find out about Belshazzar as Nebuchadnezzar's story is almost closed. Okay. Daniel chapter 5, verse number 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, please. In the third year of the reign of... Is that Daniel chapter 5? Belteshazzar, um, the king made a great feast to... A thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, were made to bring the guard, bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his prince, prince, Princess, his wife, princess, his wife, oh my gosh. <laughs> Concubines. Concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which, has, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his, prince, his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of man's hand, and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Okay, so here we are. Belshazzar is having a big feast. And why not? Because he's the king of a grand kingdom. Now, what they don't tell you in this story, we will find out a little later, <clears throat> Belshazzar's kingdom has been surrounded by an army for some time. All right? History tells us this as Babylon falls at some point, all right, that there was an army surrounding Babylon. And what they were trying to do was starve out the Babylonians. So what do you do? You close off their food sources from the outside. You pack an army around, and if anybody tries to escape, you kill them. Right? It's been used as an ancient war technique forever. It's very effective if you have a way to stay around for a long time. Now, in the midst of this, Belshazzar says, I am in control of this, and I am going to have a celebration. And so a thousand of his lords, okay, people in charge, along with his wives, many of which are there, and his lesser wives called concubines, okay, they are just there for his pleasure. That's all they exist for. He has a big harem of women, all right? And he brings them all together to have a big feast to say, ha, no one can touch us. All right? The walls of Babylon are impenetrable. You cannot get through them. We have, this has been tried again and again and again. There is a river water source that runs right through the center of the city. So we don't run out of water, which means we grow our own food. And with our hanging gardens, we just continue to live and live and live. And we don't care who surrounds us. We are untouchable. 
All right? So Belshazzar says, we're going to have a big feast, and we're going to show you we don't care about what you think. We don't care who tries what against us. Pride cometh before a fall, though. So here he sits drinking, and he says, you know what? My father, Nebuchadnezzar, when he took over the kingdom of Babylon, he went through and took city after city after city all the way over to a place called Jerusalem, all right, which was where Daniel came from. And when he went into Jerusalem, I think he actually went there three times, but the final time that he went into Jerusalem, he took away, he took the temple, destroyed it, essentially, and took away all of the gold and silver. There were special, consecrated, holy vessels that had been made holy in front of God for the use of only God's priests to run the temple. All right, gold and silver that had been made out of the riches of Jerusalem and all of Israel, been done to worship God. And Belshazzar has a fantastic idea. He says, I am going to show you who's in real control. Bring all those gold and silver vessels out. Now, there must have been a lot of them. If there was a thousand people at this feast within this city, then there were a thousand vessels. Okay, so there were a lot of them, gold and silver, and they bring them all out, cups and bowls and things like that, and they pour the wine in these vessels and say, we are in control. Now God's been watching, and God has been looking at the life of Belshazzar for some time now. Remember, he has grown up under Nebuchadnezzar, and has seen the things that Nebuchadnezzar has done, great and not so great, in his life. Right? He watched his father on the ground rolling around with the donkeys. Must have made quite an impression. But Belshazzar seems to have forgotten that. And he is defying God by drinking out of those vessels. He says, bring in the cups. We're going to have a feast. I'm going to show you who is most powerful. And then all of a sudden, just a hand. Now, I don't know how big the hand was. I don't know if it was a giant hand or a little hand. But either way, there was a white, it says a plaster wall. Okay, so within the palace, there's these white walls, probably... Uh, done with plaster so that it's, first of all, you keep the, the winds out. It keeps it cooler in the summer and warmer in the winter. And it also brightens things up because plaster tends to be white. And a white background, all of a sudden there shows up just a hand. It's not attached to a body, just a hand shows up and starts to write on this wall. It writes a big message. Now, this is where they say that old phrase comes from, the handwriting is on the wall, okay? And that, essentially, what does that mean? When, when someone says the handwriting is on the wall, what does that mean? Anybody heard of that phrase before? No? You now have. All right? The handwriting on the wall means it's over and done. You can't change it now. All right? So ultimately, when they see this hand... 
the king watches this hand and something happens to the king, he realizes something is big is going on and much bigger than him. Verse 6 and 7, please. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him, so that the points of his loins were loose and his knees smote one against the other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said unto the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof, shall be clothed as girl, and have a chain of gold around his, about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Alright, so in Old English, this is funny because it says the king's countenance changed. Alright, that means all of a sudden he realizes something bad is going to happen. Now, how many of you love roller coasters? Alright, do you know that pit in your stomach? when all of a sudden you do that big drop, right? You go down Superman or something like that, and you feel like, whoa, what happened to my stomach? It feels like it's gone, all right? That's how they're describing it in the Bible. It says, the joints of his loins were loosed, all right? That's the pit of your stomach going, whoa, I'm in trouble. If you've ever been on that with a... Now, some of you may have even been in something more like an accident, a car accident, where you just see just before it's going to happen and you realize you don't have any control over this. I've had those moments. I had a car accident right out here one time. Came up over the hill and was ready to pull across into the driveway. It's kind of a blind spot over the hill and somebody was coming right up and over and there was that split second that you realize something is going to happen and you don't know what exactly except it's going to be bad and BAM it's done. Alright? That feeling where your stomach drops out, that's where he gets it. And it actually says this where it says his loins, the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. His knees are knocking. Okay, He is literally scared to death because he has no answer for what is happening. He knows he has been pushing. He knows he has been defying God. And this was the last straw. And all of a sudden the hand shows up on the wall and writes a message. And as they watch, everybody all of a sudden says, what is going on? And there it is. Do you know what it means? Unless if you've studied the Bible, you don't. And neither did they. Okay, so he feels that pit in his stomach and he says, I need all the people in here that can possibly, the soothsayers, the magicians, the astrologers, anybody who knows anything about anything, get them in here. Now, you tell me about it. Tell me what this means. And of course, they can't tell him. They don't know what it means. But the queen, at this point, interjects. Verse number 11. 
please, wherever we left off, please. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is, uh, is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the day of the fallen light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Um, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father the king, I say, thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and All right, so all of the people that he thinks might have an answer for him come out, but Daniel's not there. And no one has an answer. Now, has he forgotten about God? It seems very clear that he said, I'm not interested in that God. I'm not interested in Daniel. I'm not interested in all that. So somewhere along the line, but it seems like it's been some time. And Daniel does not come out, so Daniel may not be invited anymore. He is looking for only those people who will give him answers that he wants. But the queen remembers and said, back when Nebuchadnezzar was in charge, he had this man named Daniel, and he seemed to be able to find the answer to all these dreams and visions that Nebuchadnezzar had, so maybe you should call him out. And so, the king calls him out. And this is how you know that he doesn't know him. When we go to verse 13, Then Daniel was brought out in before the king, and the king spake unto him and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? Are you the same guy? So clearly he's not very close with Daniel. He doesn't really know. Verse 14, I have even heard of thee that the spirit of thy gods is in thee and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. So here's a dumb question. If he knows that Daniel has wisdom and light and understanding, why has he never called on him before? Because he's not interested. He had power. He had influence. He had the gold. And he says, I know just what I want to do. And you're not going to ruin it. Daniel's not going to wreck it. None of those people that are going to try to tell me I'm not in charge are going to wreck it. All right? So he says, if you tell me what this means, I will make you third in the kingdom. And Daniel says, I'm not interested. Not interested in doing that. I'll tell you what the message is, but you can keep your gold and you can keep your robes and you can keep your rulership. I'm not interested. And so on he goes to tell him what it means. Verse number 18. But before he does, he says, I've got something to tell you. Uh, verse 18 through 23, please. Let's read that. Oh, thou king, most high God, Languages. All right, so before we keep reading, 
Nebuchadnezzar was given a great kingdom. He was given a lot of power. Said that man dies, and he died. That man lives, and he lived. But, keep on going, verse 20. When his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingdom throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. Verse 22, please. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself again the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thou and thy lords, thy them, thy, thy vice, and thy concubines. concubines. Have drank, have drunk wine in them, and, the, and thou hast praised the gods of silver, and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, in the God in whose hand thy breath is, in whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Alright, so, I, God has been watching what you've done. And you grew up and you watched Nebuchadnezzar. You saw him. You knew what was happening to him. You watched him lay out and, and the dew was on him every night because he was out like an animal. You watched him get knocked down and you didn't learn the lesson. Now Nebuchadnezzar, whether he cared or not, we don't really know. I'm sure he did want his son to learn that lesson. And he did want his children to live on. But somewhere along the line, Belshazzar said, no, I'm not going to learn it. And sometimes we have that point of pride in us. The very same point of pride that was in Nebuchadnezzar was in Belshazzar. The very same sins, and we all hate to hear this, especially when we're teenagers, the same sins that our parents have, we struggle with them. The very same ones. It is in our genes. We struggle with the very same things that we don't like about our parents. We will struggle and you'll say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to live totally different. And you will find someday that your, tendency, your tendencies will always go back to the same things. It is incredible and it's amazing and you can't deny it. So God, I think works through us generation after generation looking for that change and looking for us to say to take a lesson from those around us from those who we live with those struggles we have even down to our genetics all right now belshazzar did not learn and so what is written on there well Many, many tekel Eupharson basically says, many meant God has numbered your kingdom and it's over. You are in the final moments of your kingdom. Twice. I want you to know it's finished. That's what this means. It is finished. It is finished. Tekel means you have been weighed 
in the balances, all right? So when you're coming up and you are um, trying to weigh out a pound of one thing on a balance, okay, it is two plates and basically they're evenly distributed and they're on a balance point. And in order to have equal things on both sides, it will go and it will evenly balance. God says, I've been looking at your life and you don't have enough. In fact, you don't have anything. You have nothing where you have ever sought me out. You have been found wanting. It means you have enough. Not that you could do enough to please God. That's not what I'm saying. But Belshazzar has turned his back on God again and again and again. And his chances have come to an end. And the final one, you first and splits out basically means that your kingdom is going to be split and divided and given to two different kingdoms. The ones of, of Persia and the Medes, okay? And that was, back in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the silver chest and arms were those split kingdoms coming together, the Medes and the Persians. The crazy thing is, verse number 30, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius, the Median, that's the king of the Medes, took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. All right? They don't tell you the rest of the story, but essentially what happened was, that night, they had been watching. The Medes and the Persians were the ones that had surrounded the city and had been trying to choke that city out. They'd been watching, and there, were, uh, there was a river. I told you about the river that flew, flowed through the city. Well, there were gates in that river, and they were heavily guarded all day and all night. At night, those gates were locked up tight so that no one could come through. Now, no one could get through because they were underwater gates anyways, all right? You couldn't get through except where they wanted you to. Great big brass gates, and they shut at the bottom of the river, basically, filling all the way through, top to bottom, and it was a mighty river. But something had been happening way out and around that river that flowed. The Medes and the Persians had been doing a little digging, well, a lot of digging, and they dug a great big ditch, a huge ditch. And that ditch, they caused the river to reroute. That night, they broke it through. And that night, the river went dry because it went off on their ditch where they had taken it through and not through the city. They had been waiting for a night when someone would leave the gate unattended and unlocked. Well, guess what? It was a night when everybody was partying. And so history says that night the, the gate was left unlocked because everybody was too busy partying as he was with the king, right? They rerouted that river and they marched an army underneath in the riverbed. And they took over the entire city in one night. It was done. Belshazzar was killed that night. He never learned the lesson around 
his grandfather. He never picked up the lessons that he should have learned. And that's one of the big things about growing up, learning about and watching the people around you, right? To look even at their faults and their struggles and to say, be aware of what they are. Be aware of what others around you are struggling with because you may struggle with the very same thing. Do not let your pride get so big that you can't be changed, that God can't touch you and look at you and change you. Don't let your anger and your pride push you into a place where it's too late. All right, Belshazzar did that. Now he's down the road a ways, okay? He's down the road a long ways, but he would not listen. He would not listen. And again and again, finally God says, that's it. The handwriting is on the wall. It's too late. It's over. All right? Learn now. Take lessons now. Learn to be wise like Nebuchadnezzar learned. He got knocked down a bunch, but he learned it. Pick up the lessons that you can from those around you, all right? That's some of the, what you learn from Belshazzar. Now, Daniel, of course, he's there. And as they take over the city, we find out that Daniel keeps his place, all right, among some of the wise people there. And the new kingdom wants that same guy in their kingdom, all right? The new king, Darius has come in, and he is going to do some new things as well. But Daniel, having followed God, though he's taken from his, his kingdom when he's young and made to be a slave, lives through there, grows up, becomes a very wise person, high in the courts of the king, the, the kingdom is crushed and God protects him all the way through it. All right? Taken over that kingdom while Daniel's right inside, and God gives him a chance with the new king. Gives him an opportunity with a new king because Daniel knows that God is in control. And Belshazzar has not learned that lesson. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day.